Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 98. Today we spoke to Tracy Tim, career clarity expert and author of Unstoppable. Tracy specializes in executive coaching, career development mentoring, and leadership development. She's the founder of the Nth Degree Career Academy, where she helps people gain clarity and confidence about next moves in their personal and professional lives. We talk about career moves, fear setting, how to reduce anxiety around decisions, and steps to take towards doing what you want to do. We share with Tracy the origins of her well-being company, Kawora, and what whole person well-being means from her perspective, and get her sense of it. Tracy talks about core values and commitments, and how they drive into the root cause of happiness and big decisions we face, and the career decision easy button. Living and working in your best and highest value, listen to the examples from Tracy of what high performance means to her, and the special quote from Einstein. Thanks for joining us, Tracy. Tracy, Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so great, you guys. Thank you for having me. Look, we're really looking forward to talking to Tracy. Can you just shed light to our community? Where is home for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a born and raised Texas girl in the US. Um, so I currently live in Dallas, Texas. Uh, and it's shockingly hot. It's going to be, I don't know, I don't speak um, Celsius. It's going to be like 80, 85 today, which is probably like 30, 35 for you guys. And it's late October. So it's we're having a weird, weird winter fall. <laughs> but Dallas is home. And uh, yeah, I've been here for about six or seven years now. Okay. And just to compare, it's uh, pleasantly outcast and gray here, and it's about <laughs> eight degrees Celsius with a bit of drizzle. Oh, so nice it's a good summer's day <laughs> for us. Good- <laughs> <laughs> you know, recently my mom and I were reminiscing on our time in Ireland, and it was a really rainy day over the summer. And so we just turned on like trad music on uh, Pandora, and we drank Irish coffees, and we sat outside and just watched the rain. So I, I'm a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> There you go. This episode has been sponsored by Jameson. (laughs) Um, Tracy, look, let's talk serious for a minute. The world has gone through a lot in the last six to seven months. We're not going to talk about Ireland, but what's it been like for you and what you do? Yeah, you know, I'm really fortunate and I'm very blessed that what we do as a business around career clarity is, um, as as one guy put it a few months ago, is now just as timely as it has been timeless. Um, There are more people than ever who I think are taking a very necessary step back from their day-to-day, from their routine, from maybe the conveyor belt that they've been on professionally, and giving a really solid look at where they've been, where they are, and where they're going. Um, so it, it's it's been rocky, you know, just like for everybody else, um, just getting used to the sort of new normal of the day and having that change from day-to-day is challenging for anybody because it... It's hard to plan, and I think we all live for a good, you know, plan or at least something to look forward to. Um, so we were really lucky that we kind of maintained a very steady business, uh, you know, from let's call it March to August. Um, we had just an absolutely dire August. I think it was everybody just sort of like needing a break from the world, you know, going out on vacation or whatever 
passes for a vacation these days <laughs> and uh, getting their kids back in school and everything. But honestly, since September, we've just seen a skyrocket in um, interest and in business. Um, for that reason, I think it's it's that people are really starting to deeply question what they've been doing and whether or not they've been doing their life and their career uh, on purpose. So, so yeah, business is good right now. I'm really grateful. I also just published my first book that came out on September 29th, um, which was just so cool. It's like, I don't know if either of you guys have written a book yet, but it's, it's sort of like your birthday plus Christmas plus like having a baby all on the same day. It's <laughs> so exciting and, and very odd. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful and we're, we're doing some really good business right now. The book's called Unstoppable, Tracy. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit as to what that book's all about? Happy to, yeah. So Unstoppable is my very first book. Um, I spent really the first three years I was in business of the six total um, working really, really hard to try to come up with a methodology that could be our foundational uh, proven process or recipe, if you will, for career clarity. I'm a huge believer that everything else is easier if you're very clear about your intentions. Uh, and, and in this case, very clear about the job that is ideal for you. It makes it makes you more confident. It gives you more of a sense of certainty. It puts you back in control of sorts when you're in conversations. And so um, Unstoppable is that process in book form. So we've been as a business teaching it in various programs for the last three years. And uh, and it's working really, really consistently. It is very much, I call it our cake recipe for career clarity. Uh, if you follow the steps, you're going to get your career clarity cake, if you will. <laughs> um, and so the, uh, yeah, the book, I'm just super proud of it. People are, you know, really, really getting insights from it. I've heard a lot of, wow, I wish I had had this book when I was young. Um, I have some friends who really do actually love their work and they're like, this is just a great reminder of, um, you know, why I love what I do and how to course correct at any given time. And then for people who are really stuck, I think it's helping them address some of the major questions and, and obstacles that it takes to really discover your value and define your genius zone and then really feel like you're back in the driver's seat of your own career. So I'm really proud of it. Thank you. Do you want to give us a flavor of your career today? Boys, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, um, I find that the, the business I have today is really a labor of love and a, and a solution to a problem that I had. Um, and then when I found that solution and I had sort of gone the Thomas Edison route of doing it a thousand wrong ways before I did it the right way, um, I looked back and I said, oh, well, if I had just done it in this order and more efficiently, it could have gone a lot faster and I could have saved a lot more money. And so then I started thinking, well, that that makes total sense to help other people do the same thing. Um, so you know, if we go all the way back, like I said, born and raised in Texas, my career started, um, really I've been working since I was 15. Um, but I never, I don't know about you guys. Like I never found work to be all that sustainable. It was just something I would get through. It was like the end of the day, you go to the restaurant, you, you know, you do the thing and then you go home and you're like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to do that every day, all day. <laughs> or I'd have, you know, summer jobs and I'd feel the exact same way. And so it wasn't until my first job out of college, which, um, I graduated from Yale with a degree in psychology. And yet I took a job, my very first job, um, sort of my first full-time big girl job, uh, working on Wall Street. I was at a bank and I was working on a trading floor. Um, so my my position was in sales uh, in particular. And <clears throat> that, that was a startling wake-up call. You know, the day that you realize like, oh God, 
this is every week. <laughs> you know, there's no summer yeah. breaks. There are no winter breaks. There's no fall break. There's just Monday through Friday and the weekend, Monday through Friday and the weekend, and then a bank holiday here or there. And then, um, you know, maybe you take two weeks of vacation off a year if you're lucky. And I just remember that terrifying me. It scared the absolute shit out of me. It's like, this is going to be my life. Like 12 hours a day coming to this desk, not being excited about what I do. In fact, being kind of miserable because I was stressed out all the time. Um, And I looked at all the people around me, you know, the more senior guys on the desk. And I remember thinking, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. I don't aspire to that. You know, it, it, it felt very confining and like I was going to be stuck in a place that I didn't want to be. Um, <clears throat> and it took about two and a half years of feeling like that <laughs> before I really worked up the courage to leave. Um, I left that job really just with like a glimmer of a hope of a prayer that I could figure out work that I really did enjoy that didn't feel like such a slog and that hopefully would pay me somewhere near what I had been making before. Um, and so the next couple years were pretty messy. I, um, I went, <laughs> I enrolled myself on a semester at sea. Have you guys heard of this program over there? No. It's, semester at Sea is literally an undergraduate study abroad program where instead of living in one place for a semester, you actually live on a ship with about a thousand other students and you sail around the world and you take classes on the boat um, and then you travel when, whenever, you, um, whenever you dock in different places. So I did that, which was an incredible life-giving uh changing experience, met some amazing mentors, entrepreneurs, other students. And that's what really re-inspired me that maybe it was possible, you know, to find um, purposeful work, right? Because I I had been around people who were basically like zombies and being around college students is such a... um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like an espresso shot. They're like really excitable and they think they can save the world and, you know, they haven't been jaded yet. And so I was just like, oh, this is kind of nice. Like all these people think that, you know, the world's a great place. <laughs> Maybe I can mm, remind myself that that's true sometimes. And so when I got back, I ended up um, traveling around the country for a little bit, took a bunch of odd jobs. The long and short of it is I ended up starting my business um, September of 2003. 14. And it was because I actually got fired from a job that I hated. I remember um, sort of dragging myself in every single day, which is clearly a theme. Um, and yeah. and right. And, and thinking I could hide, thinking I was doing the safe thing, thinking I was doing the smart thing. And then I got let go. And I was like, oh, like this, this life that seems like the smart thing or the reasonable thing that other people do isn't going to work for me. You know, it, it, it's, I can't hide. I have too big of a personality. I have, um, you know, too many things that bug me. Like, and I love to be in control and kind of moving the pieces around. And so <clears throat> basically, um, I, that was my come to Jesus moment it was like, if you can't, you know, make it in a job that you don't even really care about that much, but it's sort of the right thing to do, then maybe you should try the wrong thing. You know, maybe you should put your neck out there and actually like start something. Um, because I had figured out what I loved. I just hadn't really leaned into it, if that makes sense. So I knew that I was a great speaker. I knew that I'm great at giving advice. I knew that, um, I really wanted to work with people, on people, and I'm great at taking something good and making it great. And I knew all the puzzle pieces, but I just wasn't honoring it. And I wasn't allowing it to be okay. 
Um, and that's a huge part of what we teach now is a lot of people, I think if you ask them deep down, they probably know the puzzle pieces of their ideal career. They're just not allowing themselves to ac access it for some reason, right? Maybe it's not socially acceptable. Maybe it's not what their parents or their friends do. Maybe they don't think it's even possible for them. Um, but I just decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to like listen to where my heart feels led and I'm going to start this business. And so that was, that was six years ago. Um, and so now we've got, again, these really incredible proven programs that consistently are taking people from, from feeling stuck, unclear, overwhelmed, confused, or just unconfident, you know, to, to this feeling of unstoppable. Like I know my worth, I know my value, I can articulate it. I know what I'm good at. I know what I don't want to do. Um, you know, maybe I know what my dream job is and we do that really effectively and really efficiently. So what's cool is daily we get to see these like amazing success stories of, you know, making more money and, and loving what you do and having more time off and spending more time with your kids and, you know, just living the life you want to live and having that be supported by the work that you do, not negated by the work that you do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, it's, I mean, you really went through a transformation and a career awakening in <laughs> Yale, Wall Street, you know, two and a half years looking at the people beside you getting fired, like, there's so much there experientially mm -hmm. that then you were obviously feeding into your purpose and your passion and what you do day to day now. And you've been doing since for the last five to six years. For, for those people that, you know, and this is probably what you do, but for those people that are in those jobs that are steady, they're okay. You know, they're paying well and they're covering the mortgage and they're covering the support at home for the family. Mm -hmm. But they know somewhere within them it's not really maybe what they want to do or what they could be better at like what are the the tangible first steps of that kind of self-awareness piece for those people that are reluctant and and anxious mm. about moving away from that security because the two of us can speak from experience we were we were both there a couple of years ago and then we we were trying something different and there's times when it's hard and there's times we're not earning enough but then we're like yeah, but you know, we're doing what we want to do and in yes. time we'll get there. Yes, exactly. Well, I would love to hear what you guys did. I'm, I'm happy to share what we do first steps anyway. Um, I, you know, I find that a lot of our fear and our insecurity comes from making assumptions about what might happen as opposed to really getting down to brass tacks and figuring out what is most likely to happen. If we take action, meaning um, there's this, I don't know if you guys um, follow Tim Ferriss or know, know of Tim Ferriss, but he wrote the four-hour work week and four-hour body and, and all that jazz. And um, he has this great TED Talk where he talks about fear setting. He's like, forget goal setting. We need to be fear setting, meaning if you're afraid to go do something, it's probably because all of the potential outcomes are floating around in your head and you haven't gotten them down onto paper and really addressed them. You're just allowing them to be these nebulous thoughts as opposed to actual scenarios that you could deal with or handle. So what this is how he combats his own high, high levels of anxiety because he actually has, um, I think he's bipolar actually. And so he, um, he will literally write down the thing that he's afraid to do that he really wants to do. So let's say it's, you're this person and, and, and let's just say it's considering a job change, not even like 
quitting your job, you know, not like starting from zero, but just what's the fear? The fear is around even thinking about change. So let's just like write that at the top of a piece of paper. You know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing the work that it's required to figure out what my ideal job is. And then what he would write after, you know, below that is what are all the things that could possibly go wrong? Like what are all the fears that are associated with this idea? Right. So for him, it was he really wanted to go abroad. He was like building a business and he's like, I just need to get out of here, but I'm really afraid to leave because of all these things. So he'd write, okay, I'm going to move abroad for a year. And then under it, he wrote, you know, uh, there could be no sales or my employees could, you know, sort of go rogue or, you know, every little thing that he was afraid might happen. And then in the column next to it, he just wrote, okay, what's one thing that I could do to prevent that scary thing from happening? before it even happens, right? So is there an intervention that I can take before I even go on this trip to negate the possibility of that scary thing happening? So I find that just looking at your fears really logically like that, which is challenging, right? Because um, we can't really be, it's, it's, I'm not going to say can't, we don't say can't in our business. It's a thing. Um, it's challenging to look at your own fears objectively, right? Because it's like you running from a saber-toothed tiger (laughs) is a pretty personal thing, which is what we're biologically hardwired to be afraid of. And yet now we're just afraid of like going for your dream, you know, or whatever. Um, It's If you take the time though to really sit down and instead of having things just jumble in your head, just get them out on paper. That That's honestly, if you're afraid to even address this part of your life, like maybe it's it's too big of a thing. It's too scary. It's too much. Just ask yourself, what am I deeply afraid of? And then the next logical question is, is there something I could do that would presumably keep that thing from happening? Like one of my favorite examples is um, my I was really, really wanting to quit my Wall Street job. And I was uh, texting a good girlfriend of mine, Jennifer, who um, is just like one of those beautiful souls. You know, those people that you're just like, you're an angel kind of floating in a person's body. She's amazing. And she, I was like, I, Jen, I cannot quit. She's like, what are you afraid of? I was like, that I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to have nothing. I literally had gone from you know, quitting my job all the way to homeless in one leap. And she was like, are you crazy? Like, if worse comes to worse, you come live with us, you know? We'll put a bed together for you in the basement. You'll help me take care of the girls. Like, I'll teach you how to crochet. You know, like, we'll have a grand old time. Like, you're not going to be homeless. And I was like, oh, like, it's so easy to go, like, black and white or all or nothing when your brain is anxious, right? But if, yeah. if you just address each of those fears very systematically. I think what a lot of people will find if you're listening to this is that either your fears are not very well based in reality. And if they are, then there are probably very easy interventions that you can take to negate the possibility of those those scary things actually happening. So that's where I would start personally. What did you guys do? So we took a jump from, we're both physiotherapists and we are Uh working... And we took the leap to start our own business that looks after corporate health. So looking at large organizations, looking at how we can impact individually all of their employees and how we can help them Mm. improve the well-being of them all. Fantastic. We would kind of have taken our experience and I suppose cumulative skill set. And then we brought in a performance psychologist and she, she helps on the mental and emotional side of things. And then between us, we, we try to work on, on building people's whole person well-being. And that's 
that's kind of something that was a passion project that's become actually more of a, a full-time job that we're hoping continues to grow, especially into 2021. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. That's because there's so much great science coming out now around how, you know, we, we are this whole person, you know, and, and your, your performance is capped at the level of your body's health. Right. And you guys are all about sleeping and eating well and your mind. And I mean, all of it works together. And I find even that I, if I'm not taking good care of myself, which is just so easy to forget to do, which feels kind of silly, but it's true that, that so goes the business. You know, if my health is kind of declining, like we're not doing as well. But if I'm sleeping, uh, you know, a good amount and I'm eating well and I'm feeling healthy, I show up with a different energy and I sort of lead the business in a better way. So you guys are doing, that's an awesome, awesome thing to do for the world and especially for business, business professionals who probably aren't prioritizing that necessarily. Yeah, we're finding there's a lot of people that once they get a little bit of a taste of it, they seem to love it. So it's, it's going quite well. Going back to your, your point about the, the first steps to take, I'm interested about the sort of social um, connotations that happen when you make a change like this. So a lot of the time we build up a social identity and it's often for mm. the people around us as opposed to ourselves, where we fit in our social circle. Do you have any advice for people about maybe how they change that? So for us, it's always, we see athletes making change from Maybe when we're treating them, they're going into doing some business and they're always used to be, you know, the runner, the hurdler or yep. something like that. Yep. That's what, how everybody knows them. But now they have to face into maybe they could be the salesperson or the motivational speaker. Do you have yeah. any advice for how people can change the identity and what first steps to take there? Oh, this is such a fun question, Kieran. Kieran, I don't know. I love your name. I'm just going to butcher it over and over again. Um, I, uh, you know... I had this incredible mentor who actually, like, long story short, went on to be the the person who wrote the front cover blurb for my book. His name is Sean Acor. We met when I was in college, and he was an advisor um, on a like a dissertation project that I was working on for a PhD student. And we've kept in touch ever since then. And now he's you know he's Oprah level famous and, and very very successful. Um, and anyway, when I was thinking about making my transition from sort of Wall Street to basically anything else, I remember asking him this exact same question. I was like, How, "What do I? This is who I am." And and I've done this many times in my life. Like I was Tracy, the softball player, from the time I was eight until I was twenty. Like that was my signifier. If I couldn't go out on the weekends because I was playing softball, if I was, you know, busy on the weeknights because I had practice, like that was my thing. And so quitting in college really shook my identity. I only played for two years um, at Yale. And so when I quit, it was like, okay, who am I now? And then the same thing happened to me when I uh, left the Wall Street gig. I was like, everybody around me knows me and, and is pretty like, like, I'll be honest, pretty impressed, right? That I was making great money, working at this really high-powered bank, yada, 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 um, even though I was miserable. <laughs> uh, and I remember reaching out to to Sean and just saying, what do I do? This is what people know me as. And I, I, I want to do anything but this. Like, what's does it take time? How do you change – you know, how do you transform your identity in, in the eyes of other people? And he was like, listen – Let's say you want to be a photographer and you've literally never taken a photo, but you have decided that your future is professional photography. Now, 
whether or not that's a good idea is debatable, but let's just go with it for, you know, the sake of argument. Um, he's like, call yourself a photographer because you are right. Like the, what we, what I think he really meant was we constantly look for permission from other people to own our own reality. If in your mind you are, you know, a David or a Kieran who's out there helping people with their overall personal and mental and physical health, do you don't have to call yourself an OT or right occupational therapist, whatever you guys call it there. You could call yourself exactly what you are, even if you're still building it. Because it's true. That's what you are. That's who you are. That's who you aspire to be. You don't have to wait for somebody else to give you the permission. Yes, now it's okay. You've you've officially had enough clients that it's okay to call yourself that thing that you have on your business card, right? Or like I've been calling myself an author for a long time, even though I didn't have a published book, because I write all the time. I write, you know, emails constantly to our readership and um, articles for, you know, papers and magazines and all kinds of stuff. And now I'm officially a, you know, quote, published author of a book, but I'm an author. You know what I mean? So I I would say first and foremost, it's as with many transformations in our life, it's going to happen internally before it happens externally. No one else is going to give you the permission that you're really seeking to own the identity that is true for you. So it has to come from you first. It absolutely has to come from you first. And I, I learned this from my very first client, you guys. She, we, we went, so this is back in the, this was probably almost six years ago. I sold five sessions to her for $650 US. <laughs> and this was five hours of my time. And uh, by session five, she showed up and she had done all the work, but she really wasn't getting it. It wasn't clicking. And session five, she so- shows up. She's like, Tracy, I had a breakthrough. It's like, what? She's like, I was journaling last night and I realized I'm waiting for permission to prioritize my own life. Like I'm listening to you. I'm hearing all the advice you're saying. It's it's kind of sinking in, but it's hitting a barrier. And that barrier is I haven't allowed it to be okay, right? Like I haven't allowed it to be true, my new identity, whatever. I'm still hung up on what other people think or what, or even what I think. Um, so she's like, I, I, I realize that I have to give myself my own sort of personal permission slip <laughs> of sorts. And, and that's where I would encourage, you know, if you're out there and listening to this and you're going, how do I change? It has to start internally with you. You have to give yourself permission to be happy. Give yourself permission to, to deviate from what other people think. Give yourself permission to challenge your own limiting beliefs about what you're capable of. You know, give yourself permission to be the best version of yourself. And then when it comes to addressing other people, what I recommend for people who are making any sort of career transformation is just start giving people the forward-looking vision as opposed to talking about what you used to do. So the more you can start planting in people's minds what it is that you want to do going forward, I'm a photographer, right? I'm a, um, a you know, sleep, eat, perform, repeat professional. I'm a business owner. I'm a insert thing you want to be here. Then the more people are going to start moving you from one box in their mind to the other. But if you really keep harping on what you used to do, then people are going to continue to put you in that old box, if that makes sense. So internal, then external. That's what I would recommend. Well, that's such an excellent answer. I mean, it's something we we read about. You know, we we could name a couple of books that talk about building into that identity. But I think what you said about the author piece for you, and you, you've only 
you know, the book wasn't published three years ago and yet you would have identified yourself as an author because of the emails and mm-hmm. that communication that really resonates through with us. So um, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Just, just want to talk a little bit about purpose, identity, permission, all those things. We are having a look on your your website, which is Uh-oh. a very classy, very cool <laughs> website, by the way. Um, Thanks, guys. And you had a nice thing on, on kind of Wealth 101, you know, how to get rich in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And we really liked that turn of phrase. If you could just elaborate for a community a little bit as to yeah. what the meaning and the sense behind that is. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really timed well, actually, because last night I just finished writing an article for, I think, some some sort of news magazine outlet about um, income versus impact. Um, I I just, I really, and, and I'd love to hear how, how this is, you know, in Europe and in, in Ireland specifically. It feels like in the U.S. there's this very big distinction between whether your job has impact, like is socially meaningful, is sort of magnanimous in nature. Um, that could be nonprofit. It could be teaching. It could be, you know, insert anything that gives you a lot of great feeling and fulfillment but pays like zilch, right? And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is like, oh, I'm sort of corner office, head of industry, banker, consultant, et cetera. And you make buku bucks, but at the end of the day, you're like a shell of a person. You know, you've you've basically sold your soul for lack of a better term. So either you're miserable or it's just churning and burning you out like crazy. And there's this, I think, horrible perpetuated myth that you can only have one or the other. That basically, <laughs> you know, your value is going to come back to you as a professional in one way or the other, but not multiple ways. So you can either have finances or you can have fulfillment, but you can't have both at the same time. Does that make sense? Is that like something that you guys have heard before? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something we we think about, we talk about a lot. Yeah. It's horrible, right? So so that that whole idea of having riches in many forms is really simple when you think about it. Technically speaking, any of our jobs, right? What you guys do, what I do, what insert, you know, random listener does professionally doesn't exist in a one place only monetization option. Meaning, let's say, let's just use my job for instance. It exists on a spectrum. If you want to be a career coach, guess what? You could do that for free and volunteer, and you could do it in prisons. And you could do it for homeless populations and you could do it for unemployed people, right? Like all options that are very valuable, but don't bring a lot of money into your life. Or you could travel down that spectrum and you could start to do career coaching for high school students. That probably pays a little bit more. Career coaching for college students, that probably pays a little bit more. Career coaching for young professionals, that definitely pays a little bit more. Once you get like along the spectrum, you you probably, it ends at like, career coaching for the rich and famous, right? (laughs) For people who are willing and able to pay maximum value for that job, but, you know, may stretch your, uh, your willingness to stay alive a little thin, right? Like they're going to be hard to work with or whatever. So there's this whole spectrum of monetization for any job. And I think the myth exists that you have to be at one end of the spectrum or the other, meaning you have to volunteer and get a lot of feels from your work, or you have to make maximum money and thus give up uh, freedom, fulfillment, happiness, sustainability, you know, insert something there. And what I find is that actually 
the the best sort of and most sustainable careers that we see get their value back in multiple forms, not just finances, not just fulfillment, but but both of those at the same time. And the way that we do that is that we find our perfect place on that monetizing spectrum where we love what we do and we get paid what we're worth, right? We love what we do and we get paid what we're worth. So I had a business coach who I was working with who was, you know, basically helped me kind of tease out this idea. It's that what you and I and all of us do in the world is professionally is simply an exchange of value, right? You show up and you do a job that is worth X, Y, and Z value in the world or to a business or to an individual, right? And in exchange for that value that you're giving, you receive value back. And there are wonderfully, many ways to receive value back. Money is just one of them. For some people, it's the most important. For a lot of people, it's overplayed in its importance. But it's there, right? We're working. We're not volunteers. So all we need to do is remember that value can come back to us in other ways besides money. And then if you have fulfillment, value can come to you in finances. You've just got to find a better way to monetize what you do if that's important to you. Right. So if you're a teacher and you're sort of scraping by, there's probably a place and a way for you to teach where you could be making more money with less headache and still have an extreme amount of fulfillment doing what you do. But it's all in that value exchange. And what we what we teach our clients that I'm really proud of is specifically how to articulate their professional value in a powerful enough way to argue or argue, right, to to leverage that value to receive as much value back. So that, yes, comes in finances. So we teach people not necessarily how to negotiate a raise, but how to say, I'm worth X, which is different, right? There's a difference between asking for more money and proving that you're more valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then also to think about the value they receive from their work in different ways. So do you want to argue for, I, I keep using the word argue. I guess that's because this conversation is usually at odds, right? But it's, <laughs> it's really simply an exchange of value. So if you're exchanging your value for money, great. If you're exchanging it for fulfillment, great. But what about freedom? What about flexibility? You know, what about days off? What about, um, I don't know, benefits of some sort or time with your family or the option of working from home or remotely, you know, when we go back to an office. Um, all of those things are are value exchanges that if you define, you know, you guys probably know what matters to you and having the freedom and the flexibility that you have now is probably something that really you value. So if that's a personal value, then it's probably worth asking for a more flexible work schedule rather than 5000 extra dollars, if that makes sense, right? It, I think it all just comes down to what you value as a human and what you feel is commensurate with your value as a professional. Does that make sense? I feel like I just just went all over the place. <laughs> no, you were very, very good. Okay. In terms of the fulfillment that you feel from a job, a message we get on this podcast from our guests a lot is that in order to know what the job that will reap most fulfillment and purpose for you is that you must be aware of your core values. Yes. I'm interested in your take on this and do you, what are your core values? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm so glad you asked that because that is literally step two um, in our process internally. So if we're working with a new client, um, step one, well, step zero is getting their mind right. So that's more focusing on um, the giving yourself permission and you know all the things that we talked about so far. Um, then we go right into where are you in your life right now? And so the very first thing that we do is a life audit. We have them look at every you know component uh, part of their life and just see how things are going. So how's your social life? How's your professional life? How's your financial life? How's your spiritual life? We have about eight of them that we have people go through. Uh, and then the very next step is core values, um, which I love that you brought up because I think a lot of people think core values are overplayed, but I think that they they hit their heyday and then they became a professional sort of corporate you know, we have our company core values, yada, yada, yada. And we forgot that we need them as individuals. You know what I mean? That if if you don't know what you value and then you come across a decision or a moment of um, indecisiveness or whatever, then <laughs> presumably, you know, you're going to have emotions in that moment. You're going to have um, people's expectations weighing on you. And if you don't already know what you care about, you mean what you deeply value, then it's so easy in that moment to get swayed one way or the other and not live true to what you actually deeply value. And that's that's the root cause of most people's unhappiness, I think. So, so we have our clients figure out what their core values are right now and then actually turn those values into commitments, like I will or won't do X, Y, and Z because I value X, Y, and Z, right? Um, so that when decisions come up, like, should I consider this job or should I consider this move? Or is this, is this pay raise worth the extra time I'm going to have to work or whatever, that they actually have a mechanism for making better decisions. Does that make sense? We call it kind of like the career decision easy button <laughs> in, our, in our office. No, um, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like staples. You know, that was easy. Um, so yeah. I have literally 10 core values. I'm staring at them right now. Uh, in our business internally, we have all of our teammates. I now have a team of five um, in addition to myself. Every January, we all go through this core value and commitment setting process again so that we know internally what we each value and so that I know what I value as a business leader so I know really the things that we're going to have to do and implement and the changes that we'll need to make in the next calendar year, if that makes sense. Um, so my core values are have been playing out like kind of beautifully this year, which is really fun. So my number one core value is deeply in tune, which means feeling divine, grateful, faithful, and hopeful. Um, I really try hard to discern consistently, right? Like, is this where we're being led? Is this sort of the mission for the business as I see it? Am I, you know, listening to God? Am I sort of praying about where we're going? Like, I really just want to listen to the market, listen to my faith, listen to my gut and, and, and go where, where it feels good, if that makes sense. Um, and there's never been a better time for that <laughs> than 2020 because <laughs> we've just, you know, been all over the freaking place. And, and it wasn't until, I was forced to sit back and look at it that I realized our business is not about changing the conversation around impact and income. It's not about getting paid what you're worth. We exist for two reasons. The first is to unleash human potential. And the second is to unlock life purpose for people. 
via their career. And if I can do those two things, then that means that we are deeply in tune with the purpose of those individuals. And that feels really good as a business. So the rest of them are are kind of funny. I'll go through maybe just five since I don't, you know, I know you guys are curious, but I don't think we need to go to all 10. Um, Number two is it takes a village. Like I vividly remember in January this year that I wanted to feel supported, loved, comforted, and connected. I was so tired of being a canoe of one, like rowing my boat and trying to, you know, make this business work. Um, So I really committed to having personal and professional support and leaning on that support. So I started started this year with one person on my team and now I have five. Um, And so that's just a really beautiful manifestation of living that commitment and living that value and allowing other people to take the reins in other areas of the business so I can do more things like like chat with with David and Kieran. And then number three, which is only allowed to exist because of number two, is in my element. So to me, that means feeling capable, confident, masterful, and impactful. So the more that I lean on my village, the more I can actually live in my own genius zone, if that makes sense. Um, I find that my, my commitments and my core values are often like a waterfall. Like if I do number one, then that allows me to do number two, which allows me to do number three, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm finally feeling like you guys, I don't know, you know, the moments where you're like, damn, that was a good piece of advice I just gave or like, oh, let me drop the mic. You know, that feels really powerful. I am so in my element right now. Like I love being on podcasts. I feel like I know my craft really well. I'm constantly learning and growing. Like I'm in a really good spot in my business because I have other people doing the things that I either don't want to do or I'm just not as good at and they're better at which is really fun. Um, So that leads into number four, which is fully alive. Um, I don't know if if you guys got this vibe yet, but I am really excitable. (laughs) I I love to feel excited, eager, adventurous, awake, and have intentional joy and play and adventure in my life. Um, So when I'm in my element, that makes it much that much more readily available for me to feel fully alive. I would say the only bummer about this calendar year, you know, 2020 being what it is, is I really wanted to go on one adventure or one travel experience every month. That was one of my commitments. And that really got shattered in like March, April, May. <laughs> Except that I did live with my mom for about nine weeks. That was an adventure. Um which, you know, we could talk about or not. Um, and then number five is in the moment. So really paying attention, feeling engrossed, aware, connected, and full of wonder, um, being mindful, um, like eating amazing food, creating arts and crafts, like uh, being present with you guys, not multitasking as much, you know, just the little things so that I can lean into experiences and focus on what's happening right now is sort of an extension of feeling fully alive. So, you know, I, I would really challenge the, you know, anybody listening, if you couldn't tell me your top five core values or if you couldn't, you know, look them up quickly like I just did, um, that's a great place to start. You know, once you've given yourself that mental permission to really be critical about this area of your life, your core values is is exactly where you want to start because those are the foundational component parts of a sustainable lifestyle for you. Those are the foundational component parts of a sustainable lifestyle for each of us. If we're living in those values, then whatever we're doing is inherently sustainable because we deeply value it. Um, And we actually have an exercise internally called our um, career alignment scorecard, where we walk people through a process of coming up with their top five core values and then measuring those values against their current role. And you'd be amazed at how many people are like, ugh. (laughs) 
I'm not even living value number one, let alone the, the other four. Um, that's a really great place to start for just some awareness, you know, if you're unhappy and thinking about making a change. Tracy, like it's, it's very, it's very clear to see that, you know, we often ask what does success look like for you, but you, you manage to, you know, you're getting out of bed and you have that intersection, I suppose, between financially, you're, you know, you're doing okay probably now because it's after some years and, you know, yeah. team, you're not just one-on-one in a canoe and obviously creating, creating a lot of impact, you know, yeah. what people you're, 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 um, you're working with. Yeah. It feels the, really the, good. The, <laughs> it feels really good. It's, it's so weird. You guys, like I wake up and I'm just so, you know how most people you talk to right now, they're just like, Oh, this is a slog 2020. It's lasted forever. I'm like so grateful every day. I'm just so grateful every day that I've got to pull all these pieces together. And it, it, it happened because of commitment. You know how you guys were saying like some days are easier. Some days we question everything. Some days we're like, is the money ever going to come? It only does if you're committed to living on purpose and living true to what you value and not giving up. You know what I mean? If I didn't care about what I was doing, I would have quit so long ago. There's entrepreneurship sucks. <laughs> like this life is not super easy. Um, and it's in fact very often difficult. And if I didn't care, I, I've had many opportunities to to put this aside and go make a three to four times higher paycheck, right? And and that's okay. Because I knew it was coming. I knew I was building towards it. Now I get to pay myself and other people. Um, you know, I'm fine. I'm doing well. I, I, you know, thankfully I have great accountants who help me do even better. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just appreciate that so much. It's not perfect by any means. And every day is a bit of a, every day slash every week is a bit of a roller coaster. But I'm so grateful every day, every day. And Tracy, like that brings us around really nicely to asking a question that we ask every guest that comes on, on mm. our show, Sleepy Perform Repeat, which is, Tracy, Tim, what does high performance mean to you? Ooh, what does high performance mean to me? Okay, so I have a great answer to this, I think. Um, I think high, high performance is living and working in your best and highest value. So I'll give you an example. Um, I like to use athletes and animals because I think that they're obvious examples, whereas being a person is a lot more challenging. So Einstein has this great quote (laughs) that I only just discovered recently that says, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life feeling stupid. So First and foremost, high performance requires being in the environment that is conducive to your highest performance. Okay. So if you're out there and you feel like a fish and your job feels like a tree, we got some work to do. You could take it one step further with athletes. So we could use, let's say, Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps, both American Olympic gold medal athletes. If we were to switch them, meaning take the one from the pool and put him on the track and take the one from the track and put him in the pool, they would both probably still perform at maybe a higher level than you or I would as sort of lay people, non-athletes, but they still don't have the best chance at succeeding at the highest possible level, aka getting another gold medal, because they're not in their ideal ideal sport, right? They're not in their ideal event. So 
operating at the highest level and performing high performance at the highest level to me requires being in the right environment and also using and operating at your best and highest value. So if if that means you as a professional, then it's putting yourself in a business, a company, a role, et cetera, where you have the best chance of getting your proverbial gold medal at the end of the day. Um, it took me a long time to learn that. I used to think that I had to be successful at anything and everything in every environment. And then I, you know, when that wasn't true, <laughs> went back to the drawing board and thought, why am I setting myself up for failure? You know, why am I making it that much harder to perform at a high level? So to me today, high performance is about identifying the the place out in the marketplace, right? The the role, the career, et cetera, where I have the best chance at succeeding at the highest level sustainably. And that's high performance to me. Tracy, Tim, we'd like to say thank you very much for your time to speak to the two of us today. We've really enjoyed it. We've learned a lot from you. Oh, you guys. So sweet. Thank and you. Wishing you all the best. Stay fit, stay healthy. And um, everyone check out Tracy Tim online. She's, she's doing some amazing things. We're fans. Speak soon. <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me. This is great. Yeah. TracyTim.com and then nthdegree.tracytim.com. And I play around on LinkedIn. So if you're a LinkedIn fan, come and um, connect with me and we'll chat. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. <laughs>